The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Hi, it's Doc Thompson to tell you about a wonderful book available in paperback and in stores for the first time, The List, by legendary best-selling author J.A. Conrad. It plunges you into a twisted conspiracy that runs deep into the very heart of the American government. Ten strangers, each with a mysterious tattoo, a top-secret past, and connections to a famous historical figure. But that's not all they have in common. They're being hunted. Grab your copy of The List by J.A. Conrath at a local Walmart or bookseller. Visit jaconrath.com for more info. A gentleman that many of you may know, uh, many of you may really dislike his content. Uh, Some of you are going to dislike after this. I'm hoping, though, that some of you will actually like him. His name is uh, Cenk Uger. He's the host of The Young Turks. Cenk, how are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Now... I have uh, seen your work over the years, stumbling upon uh, videos. We're politically very different. Um, But I will say, you as a host and the show, you do a really good job. It's a high-quality show. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's very nice of you. What is your background before you started The Young Turks? I was a lawyer for about three and a half seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. I hated it, so I got out. Yep. One of the reasons we want to talk to you, we saw that um, um, a press release was going around that you were commenting on the California primary and some other stuff. And one of our hosts mm-hmm. here stumbled across and said, would you like talking to him? I said, absolutely. Jake, we have been looking for people on the left to have uh, good, solid conversations with. And, I mean, we're tainted by political stank like probably you are at times when people want to talk to you. And they know you're, um, you know, you comment, you, you do humor as well at times. And people don't want to talk to us. They are afraid that we won't give them a fair shake or be willing to have a good conversation. Yeah, no, no. I'm looking forward to conversations with people and uh, on the right, and I want to see if we can find common ground. And it's okay if we don't. Uh, and yeah. I'm sure that there's a great number of issues we disagree with, but it's good for people to hear all sides. One of the things I think we, one of the ways we have to start, we have to start by giving each other the benefit of the doubt and understanding that even though I may not understand what the hell you're talking about, I think you're crazy, I think whatever, to pause and say, I'm going to start with believing that you want good things for people and you're trying to accomplish good things. If we can start there, I think we can solve a lot of problems. Well, that, that sounds great. Let's do it. Okay. So some of the big issues out there um, that I think we could start with, at least trying to find some sort of common ground. Jenk, how come we don't have a balanced budget and a balanced budget amendment? How, how come we haven't done that? That's, yeah. Isn't that something on the, the people on the left would appreciate? Um, so let me start on common ground and then go to uncommon ground. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I know that a lot of the people in the balanced budget amendment movement are – uh, trying to get an amendment, and they're trying to do it through a convention of the states. Right, and uh, and I uh, am totally in favor of a convention, and I think it's part of a democracy. I think the elites hate a convention because it brings real change. Right, and uh, and so whether it's from the left or the right, in terms of fighting the establishment, uh, I'm in favor of that, and I and I ultimately trust the American people uh, that only something that they really, really want is going to get ratified by three-quarters of the states. Sure. Uh, now, in terms of the essence of the balanced budget, I have to say I, I don't agree. No. Really? Uh, so, yeah. And let me explain a couple of reasons why. Um, so, do I believe in balanced budgets overall in, in life? Mm, only halfway. 
so if you're running a business, at the end of the day, you got to make a dollar more than you spent, right? Mm-hmm. This, and that's a fact of life. And you could say you disagree, but uh, dollars and cents aren't going to care about your disagree. You're going to go out of business, right? right? Right. And so, so I'm a capitalist. I say that on the air all the time, and uh, and so that that part, of course, makes sense. But you know, people often use the example of. Uh, the average household. Well, the average household never balances its budget. Uh, you've got a mortgage. You've got a car payments. Uh, that means your budget is not anywhere near balanced. It's totally you borrowed a ton of money, let alone your credit cards, your student loan debts, etc. And if we tried to balance our budget uh, on a personal level, we could never own a house. I mean, maybe we could scrape together enough for a car, etc. Uh, and at the uh, national level. Um, I think balanced budgets matter a lot. Uh, so when Dick Cheney or Paul Krugman say that they don't matter at all, I think that they're being ridiculous. On the other hand, if we enforce it through the law, it does not allow for enough adjustment in times to do deficit spending or having surplus. Well, see, I think what the, the problem you're saying, though, is a balanced budget could mean even taking into consideration debt. It doesn't mean um, a balance where you don't have outstanding debt. It just means you currently have a budget that allows for you to pay that payment or you know pay along as you go yeah. with regard to a mortgage. So, I mean, the federal government should be able to do that. No, no. I know that it would uh, include the debt payments for the debt we've already incurred. Right. Uh, but... Uh, my understanding of it is that it does not allow you to take on further debt to run a deficit in any given year. And I think that that's too inflexible. Uh, it depends. If the economy is booming, that makes a lot of sense. If the economy is reeling and you can't run a deficit, you're going to be in real big trouble. So what do, you, what do we do with the $21 trillion national debt? Is that a concern of yours and the, out, you know, the unfunded liabilities that come after that? Um, yeah. and our continued deficits. I mean, this is not a Republican or a Democrat thing. Um, they've all yeah. crazy overspend. I totally agree. Uh, I am very concerned about it. Again, I go back to, I don't uh, agree with Cheney or Krugman uh, when they say these things don't matter. They do matter. Um, and at some point, the, the bill comes due and there is a reckoning. And so we, we've got to get back to fiscal sanity. Um, and now... The, this huge disagreements will come into how we get into uh, fiscal sanity and uh, stop overspending. Yeah, I mean, so, and, well, because there's going to be a lot of political differences about where the money that we do have gets spent, and that's cool. We can, you know, debate that. I just can't believe that the fiscal sanity part isn't even there. We have, we don't even discuss that. I mean, look at okay. So have the Democrats overspend in the past? Sure, mm-hmm. right, and. But look at what the Trump's team just did. I mean, that tax cut was unreal. It was it, it the overwhelming majority of it goes to the top one percent. The top one percent make, on average, sixty one thousand dollars a year from that tax cut, and it costs us about at least one and a half trillion. But now economists say that closer to one point nine trillion. That's just in the deficit. That's not the overall cost. That's what it adds to the deficit. So you can't say that you're for those tax cuts and you're for a balanced budget or you're for fiscal uh, uh, discipline. You can pick or choose. You can say, yeah, you know what? Forget it. I'm not interested in fiscal discipline anymore. I just want a tax cut. Well, no, I think think you can as long as you're saying your plan is that or you believe that there should be further cuts 
to government spending to offset that. Doc, when you get into the the details of that, there's almost no American who's going to agree to those cuts. Me, no, so, I'm, not, I'm not saying they would, but yeah. that's where I, right. I would. I'm not saying anybody would be with me, but I absolutely would, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would have to absolutely shred Social Security and Medicare. Uh, and, and you know, people think, oh, foreign aid and welfare. No, no, those are tiny, tiny Those are very small portions of it. Very small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but and, I, by the way, I'm, I'm fine with Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security. I'm fine with all of those going away. Not tomorrow, because there's people that depend on those. There's people that would never be able to recover from those. So, yeah, tomorrow, I don't want to see the, you know, the bottom fall out. But over the course of the next 30, 40, 50, whatever years, yeah, to see those go away in favor of a better plan, different plan, sure. So that's how I think, yeah. like, bigger, bigger scale. Yeah, and, and that, that's a fine choice, and everybody's got uh, their different choice to make. So I, uh, I think, look, I don't – there's a new movement on the left that are, you know, that are very, very anti-rich, right? right? And I'm not in favor of that, and they call me too mainstream. Uh, and I tell people all the time, look, there's nothing wrong with being rich. I mean, Oprah didn't do anything wrong. LeBron didn't do anything wrong. I don't think Bill Gates did anything wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, they don't need any more tax cuts, and it doesn't help the economy. So if you say to me, protect people that are on Social Security or Medicare, or give the top 1% an extra $61,000 every single year, that's a no-brainer for me. That's not even close. You know, and I'm sure that sounds very reasonable, people. I guess the question is this, Jenkins, and I'm being serious here. You're right. The, the, the anti-capitalist, the anti-rich, whatever, that's just bizarre. That's, that's a crazy people. But for people like you that say, no, no, I'm not anti-rich. There's plenty of rich people. I want to have money. Maybe you have some money. Whatever. Where's the line drawn? And that's where people on the left, I think, get a little confused because you can always just move it one more notch and then you end up with the people that are anti-rich? No, I mean, look, I'll give you a sense. I, I used to be a Republican. And um, when I was growing up, I believed in Reagan and all that stuff. Now, why did I, why was I a Republican then? And I'm very progressive now. There's a, a thousand different reasons. So one of them uh, is really clear. It, it depends on the context. It depends on the facts and the situation. So when I was growing up, the top, uh, and this gives you a sense of how old I am, the top tax rate was uh, 70%. Well, that's too high. And so when Reagan came in and said he was going to cut it from 70%, uh, you know, my family agreed, and we thought that made sense. Now the top tax rate uh, for the wealthy is too low Uh, for economic growth, for the recirculation of money, uh, for just about almost every category. Uh, I know that people who pay it, it seems painful. Oh, my God, when you include state and local, I'm losing half my... Uh, income, I know, but we got roads, we got bridges, we got schools, we got hospitals, and and more important than that, how much? What is the ideal amount of taxes that stimulates the economy rather than dampens it? When the rich uh, get money, uh, they save it, which is a great thing, but it doesn't go back into the economy. When the poor and the middle class get money, they have to spend it because they they don't have enough money. That immediately goes back into the economy and, and juices it. So I think that's the right economic model. See, I think the, the, the right people look at that and say they're not so concerned about the outcome. They're saying my personal freedoms are uh, what's at stake here. 
I pay a certain amount of taxes, whether I save it or whatever. That's regardless. But let me ask you one more thing. Let me ask you something else and uh, see if we can find some common ground. What about term limits? Would you be in favor of any sort of term limits? I think that's a really interesting Members question. of Congress, obviously, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, I, I'm undecided on that, to be honest. I, really? I think there's a good case for term limits. Um, uh, look, on the one hand, um, I'm, I love politics, and I like to see these characters, and, uh, and I think that they do gain from their experience, and uh, sometimes that helps them improve the performance of their job. On the other hand, uh, I don't trust politicians. Uh, generally, don't have the respect for them that you see on TV where they're fawning over them. And so uh, maybe term limits is a decent way of limiting that power. So it's, it's certainly worth a discussion. Let me give you an example of, of, of the BS that we hear back and forth. Who was the, uh, the representative from California this morning uh, that I was started off with who was uh, talking about, can't think of his name, drawing a blank here, uh, Trump, who was calling Trump out on the Iran deal. This is the D.C. working against us. Adam Schiff. Uh, yeah, Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff. Um, this is D.C. working against us, uh, Jenk. So President Trump comes out and part of this uh, North Korea deal says that, well, it's too expensive to pay for those, for the, the military exercises. Jenk, that's, um, that's a lie from the president. That's a lie. He's not concerned about the expense, nor should he be concerned about it. It has nothing to do with it. Regardless of how you feel about North Korea, that was a lie, and we called him out this morning on that. I think um, you know it's a minor detail to say we're going to delay him, but that's a whole separate issue. But for Adam Schiff to come out and suddenly saying it's unsafe, how dare you do this, and then suddenly talk about the human rights violations of North Korea seems pretty disingenuous as well because he's never been at the forefront of such things. It's just opposing people and just lying. That's the stuff we get out of D.C. that drives me up the wall. Yeah, so I agree with you. I think that uh, North Korea is an interesting example because, look, I I don't think Trump got anything out of that deal. Uh, And, you know, I think he's just looking for self-aggrandizement and, hey, I'm a hero, I made a peace deal. Yeah, but what's in the deal? We didn't get anything back. Right. Um, Okay, Uh, on the other hand, though, the Democrats all of a sudden turning into warmongers is crazy. Um, the par- the parallels I- between that and Obama's Iran deal are incredible. And I've been consistent on both of them. Yes, diplomacy is good. Talk, see what you get. Is the deal good or not? Yeah. And so I like that Trump's talking to the North Koreans. And there's not a lot of like I like about Trump. Maybe that yeah. might be among the two things. But, hey, for God's sake, if he's doing something you like, encourage it. Uh, so... I don't think it's necessarily the best deal, but I'm glad he's at the table and all these people saying, oh, you're legitimizing Kim Jong-un. Look, I got news for you. He exists whether we legitimize him or not. He's the leader of North Korea, whether we say it or not. This whole thing of, like, do you recognize Israel? Well, I got news for you. Whether you recognize it or not, it exists. So... Well, well, the, the, you're right. That's a great point. But the North Korea thing's funny, too, because, okay, I see what they're saying to his people who are legitimizing, but nobody around the world that hated North Korea is going to go, well, they're a world power now. I guess we just, that's not happening. You know, you're not. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Agreed. Yeah. Jake, well, I really appreciate talking with you. Um, good conversation. I'd love to talk to you in the future about some of this stuff. Um, uh, I think this is really, really important. I know there's some common ground. That's the foundation of America, uh, protecting people's personal freedoms. Um, 
in whatever your side, left or right, is paramount. And I just don't think we're doing that now. So hopefully we can talk in the future as well. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, it's a great conversation. Thank you, man. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. Cenk Uger, host of uh, The Young Turks. I, Luke, send a message to all those that follow our Lord Jesus Christ. From Affirm Films comes Paul, Apostle of Christ, now on DVD and Blu-ray. There are men, women, children that will never meet you. There must be a handwritten account of your acts. Their faith challenged an empire. Do you really know about these Christians? I am concerned with these documents. Their words change the world. Love is the only way. Paul, Apostle of Christ, starring Jim Caviezel. Available now on digital. Available on DVD and Blu-ray June 19th. Knowledge is power. Tweet at us with the hashtag what I learned today. This is the Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson on the Blaze Radio Network.